morning church again. Morning, Okay, uh, I'm, I'm really excited about what God is going to say to us today, uh, because it's no ordinary day today. Um, it's, a, it's, not, it's not a morning service, is it? We're not morning, we are celebrating today. Um, really, really to know that our God is alive. Jesus is alive. He is not like any other prophet who has walked this earth. Uh, if you visit their grave, they are dead. They are there in the grave. The bones are very dry. But Jesus is alive. Praise the Lord. Let's pray for the word. Father, we thank you this morning for your faithfulness. We thank you for your word. The entrance of your word brings life. It gives understanding to those of a simple heart. And this morning we just pray that you, you speak to us, Lord. We are open to hear from you. And we are excited, Lord, because our lives will be changed. Because your word brings change to our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Um, in high school, I did, I did history. I did uh, European history. I did African history. Um, and I remember doing history. There was one specific event that they spoke about. Um, and I know all of us would know about it, the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. The Industrial Re Revolution was one of those things that happened in history and really changed the course of humanity. When you think about Industrial Revolution, stuff started happening in that 18th century. Uh, that's when a lot of the things that we're enjoying today got uh, to see the, day, the, day of, the light of day. Um, if you look at the Industrial Revolution, it changed the way life was lived. Today we are enjoying transportation. We are enjoying high-speed trains. We are enjoying flying in aeroplanes. We are enjoying uh, communication via phones and internet and everything. It all started in that period. And you'd agree with me that it changed the course of humanity. Just to point to a few of the events that happened Way back in 1775, James Watts invented the steam engine. And out of that steam engine, a lot of stuff happened. The Industrial Revolution really took off out of that uh, invention. Factories started working from machineries that could produce mass production. Where they used to take so many years to produce certain things, things were not being done within months. Samuel Morse invented the telegraph. Before the telegraph was, they used to, to get onto horses and they would run and deliver messages. It would take them months without end. But today, you can go onto Skype. It all started then. And you can talk, talk to your sister who is in the States and you can see her and you have a moment with her. If you talk about Eli Whitney's when he invented the cotton gin, that changed the, the textile industry. So the Industrial Revolution really brought so much change to life, both positive and negative. You can talk about the abuse that started taking place where people were working long hours, where people were being forced in very difficult conditions. But one thing for sure, we cannot ignore the changes that came as a result of the Industrial Revolution. Now, when you look at what happened with the Industrial Revolution, it changed the temporary setting of our lives. 
It changed what we are doing here temporarily. But this morning I want to talk to you about something that changed eternity. Hallelujah. The Industrial Revolution changed the way we do things. But the event that we are celebrating today changed the whole of eternity. The whole of eternity as far as humankind is concerned was altered when Jesus rose from the dead. Hallelujah. If it was not for the resurrection of Jesus, we would be dead in our sins today. There would be no relationship with the Father. We would be still condemned for eternity. To live eternity separated from our Father. But when Jesus came on earth, He died and He rose on the third day so that you and I can be reconciled with our Father. This event cannot be compared to any other event. There is no event that can actually stand neck on neck with the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Is there somebody out there this morning? If you think about it, had Jesus not died on the cross, we would still be dead in our sins. We would still be praying but not being heard. But when Jesus came, he opened the door for you and I to make prayers that we know these prayers are being heard. He made it possible for us to say to our Father, Abba, Father. Before Jesus came, we were separated because of our sins. It was such a defining moment that even the way the years are counted had to take Jesus into account. You see, we talk about B.C. 200, before Christ, isn't it? We talk about A.D. 2000 A.D., Amino Domini, we're talking about the year of the Lord. It was basically saying in that dispensation, when Jesus came, something worth mentioning happened. And therefore, the way we count our years had to take that into account. So we say 2016 AD. So whether people believe in Jesus or not, the fact that they're saying 2016, they're acknowledging that somebody walked on earth who is not the, no, no one like any other who has walked before. They can deny Christ, but when they say 2016, by hindsight they're saying, Jesus is for real. Hallelujah. They can deny him, but as long as they're using that calendar, they're acknowledging Jesus by default. Now today I want to share with you, and I've entitled my message, A Tale of Two Graves. That's my title this morning. A tale of two graves. These two graves define our lives so much that we can't ignore them. The one grave is empty today. Hallelujah. If you go to the tomb of Jesus, you will see no bone in that place because Jesus is alive. But there's there's another grave. By implication, when you talk about an empty grave, there has to be an occupied grave somewhere. Track with me to understand what I'm talking about this morning. Because the grave of Jesus is empty, it demands that there be a grave that has something in it. Let's go to Matthew chapter 28 verse 1. We are talking about the resurrected king. Verse 1, the Bible says, But late in the week, at the dawning into the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. My question when I read this statement is, where were the disciples? 
Where, where was Peter, James, and John, and Andrew? Where were the disciples that walked with Jesus day in and day out? These are the disciples who had Jesus telling them that on the third day I'll rise from the dead. But in the moment when Jesus died, something happened in their hearts. Doubt crept in and they said, maybe this man was not for real. But Jesus was for real. And guess who rocked up at the grave of Jesus? Mary Magdalene, from whom Jesus cast out seven demons. Mary came to the grave of Jesus, not to see whether Jesus had risen from the dead or not, but to come and prepare Jesus' body. They came with spices to embalm the body of Jesus, to preserve the body of Jesus. So they were not expecting to see the resurrected king. Isn't that an issue with us today as believers that we hear the word of God, but we don't really believe what the word says. The word of God says you are healed. By his stripes you are healed. But we don't just believe it. Jesus told them that on the third day I will rise from the dead. But Mary went to the grave not expecting to see the resurrected king. But to go and prepare the body of a dead king. What has God been telling you today? What has been the scriptures that has been so much spoken over your life, but you battle to believe them? The disciples were somewhere in a room, they're contemplating their next move. Some of them were saying, this is done, we're going back fishing. We're going back to what we used to do before Jesus came and disrupted our lives for three and a half years. <laughs> in that moment, they, they were left just lost in their minds, not knowing what to do next. They were probably scared that the people who killed Jesus was going to come after them. But Mary and the other Mary, at least they make the move. It is so beautiful because they were the first people they were given the, who were given the, the privilege to say the Messiah is alive. In an era of time where women were not considered as valuable, Jesus chose women to go out and speak the first gospel. Jesus chose women who were not seen as anything in society to go and express this profound event. Because when they went in and they saw Jesus having risen, they were told by the angel, go back and tell them that he is alive. Amen. Glory be to God. Man, when Jesus came, he did not just change your inner man. He changed even the way people looked at individuals. Come on. Women who were just cascaded out of the mainstream of life. Jesus brought them at the center of everything else. He brought them to that place where they said, the Messiah is alive. You see, when Mary went back and told the disciples, then they gathered courage. They ran to the tomb to see for themselves. Why were they not there in the first place? And behold, a great earthquake occurred for coming down from heaven and coming up. An angel of the Lord rolled back the stone from the door and was sitting on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And the keepers, and the keepers shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the women, do not fear, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Other narrative says 
when they saw when the angels saw the, the women, they said, Why are you seeking the living amongst the dead? What a profound statement. He says, Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? You see, when Jesus comes into your life, he transforms you from being dead to becoming alive. You see, Jesus did not come to change bad people to becoming good people. He came to change the dead to become alive. You see, if he could only come and change me from being bad to being good, therefore he's not good enough to be the Messiah. He came to change the dead to become alive. That is why you and I today are sitting in this place full of life that came as a result of this event. And the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not fear, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly. You see, Christianity is about seeing and going. Mm -hmm. The angel said, come and see for yourself. Come and witness the resurrected king and don't leave it there. Go and tell. Mm -hmm. How much of seeing has been happening in your life as a believer? How much have you been experiencing the power of God? And how much of that have you been telling Sometimes you look at our families, we are born again, but our own sisters don't know Jesus. Our own fathers and our own mothers don't know Jesus. You see, if our Christianity is to make sense to anyone, it has to be carried by people who have witnessed it, and then they would go tell. So Mary was told, come and see for yourself, but don't stay here, go and tell. You see, it took a level of boldness for Mary to be able to go tell what had happened because there was no guarantee that they were going to believe her. Yeah. Sure. You see, when you go and tell people about the resurrected Jesus, there's no guarantee that they'll believe you. But what we know is Jesus is alive. Whether they believe it or not, my responsibility is to declare the resurrected King of glory. You see, it's not us who change people. It is the resurrected king who changed people. It is Jesus who transforms the hearts of men. It is Jesus who unveils the eyes of the blind for them to see the true king. But the Bible says, how can they believe in whom that they haven't heard of? Which means my responsibility is to declare and then I leave the rest to Jesus. Hallelujah. And he says here, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he goes before you into Galilee. You see, if these disciples were believe, had believed the reason, in the resurrection of Jesus, they would have gone to Galilee because he had already told them that when I rise up, I will meet up with you in Galilee. But they were still waiting out there. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. Now, talking about the empty grave, the implication of the empty grave is this. At the core of the gospel is an empty grave. At the core of the good news is an empty grave. That is the first grave I want to deal with this morning. You see, if Jesus had only died, if Jesus had just been stricken, if Jesus had just shed his blood and died and nothing else happened, he would have been the same as Muhammad. Do you hear me? If Jesus had not risen from the dead, 
there would have been no difference between Hare Krishna and Jesus. The differentiator between all these false prophets and the Messiah is the fact that there's an empty grave somewhere. And this morning, I, uh, my desire is that we come to a place where we reconnect with this reality. Because that is why we are where we are today, is the resurrected king. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is the resurrection chapter in, in, when Paul was writing. In the church of Corinth, there rose up a group of people who are now saying there is no resurrection. They are now saying the dead are dead for good. They are not rising up. And, P- and Paul went into a journey to try and bring to the light the whole issue of the resurrection of Jesus. When you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, now Paul was answering them. He says, you are saying there is no resurrection. And he says, if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is worthless. And your faith is also worthless. You see, Jesus had to rise from the dead for our salvation to be true. Now, the Apostle Paul was saying, we've been preaching to you that the good news is you were dead, but you are now alive. The reason why you are alive is because Jesus, who died on your behalf, came back to life. And now he says, if you don't believe that there's a resurrection, then your proclamation is worthless. So the empty grave, the resurrection of Jesus validates the gospel. It brings life to the gospel. It makes the gospel of much value to you and I. You see, the true Messiah had to die, but also had to rise from the dead. If the Messiah had not risen from the dead, today we would not claim that we are born again or we are saved. The Old Testament scriptures demanded the resurrection. When you go into Psalms chapter 16 verse 10, this was David who was speaking, and yet he wasn't speaking of himself. Because the Bible says here, for you will not leave, the, you will not leave my soul in hell. You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. David died and he didn't rise from the dead. Therefore, he wasn't talking about himself. Right here, he was talking about the Messiah who was to come back to life for you and I. Glory be to God. You see, as believers, if we don't see this right, we'll miss out this whole issue of salvation because Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. Isaiah chapter 53, one of the most accurate prophecies around the death and the resurrection of Jesus. What does Isaiah say? You see, after prophesying about the suffering of the Messiah, about the suffering of the Son of of God, he also talks about how he was going to be cut off from life. Verse 8 says here, he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He's talking about the death of the Messiah. But Isaiah also states that we see, he will see his own offspring. Which means the Messiah was not going to remain in the grave. You see, you need to realize that when sin happened in the Garden of Eden, there was death that entered into man. 
The Bible says through the disobedience of one man, sin entered into man. And through sin, death entered into man. And therefore, somebody had to come and take the place of man for man to be reconciled to God. And that took somebody to die and to rise from the dead. Verse 10 of Isaiah 53 says, Yet it pleased the Lord to crush him, to grieve him, that he should put forth his soul as a guilt offering. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned in that day, when they relinquished their right, when they allowed the enemy to speak lies into their lives, and they died spiritually, the father in his heart is saying, I'm going to put a plan in place to regain my children who will be separated from me through sin. You see, the whole issue of being born again is not about coming to church. It's not about attending services like we do. Because there are many people who attend services and yet they remain dead in their spirit man. You see, what makes you a child of God is not coming to church. What makes you a child of God is not praying every day. What makes you a child of God is accepting the risen Christ. It is when you say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Make me a child of God. We needed somebody to come and save us. We need the Savior to come and die on our behalf. Because we were condemned to die for eternity. Glory be to God. You see... If you don't understand the implication of being dead spiritually, we will not preach the gospel. We will not reach out to our families. You see, the moment you start thinking that if my mom would die today, is she going to be separated from God for eternity? Or she's going to be with the Lord? You see, when the scripture says when somebody has died, we don't cry like those who don't have hope. It's simply talking about those who have died in the Lord because when they die in the Lord, when the Messiah comes back the second time, we shall be reconnected with them. We shall see them again. The Bible says when he comes on the clouds, those who died in the Lord, first they will rise up from their graves and us who are living will catch up with them in the clouds. All of that is a possibility only if you give your life to Jesus. If we don't understand that, we won't have the pressure to share the gospel. We will see the gospel as anything else that people can choose not to have or to have. You see, the Messiah foretold his resurrection. When he was walking on earth, he spoke about his own resurrection. Right from the onset of his ministry, the Bible says in John chapter 2 verse 19... Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. They only believed after they had seen the resurrection. You see, when Jesus was appearing before his disciples, there was one disciple by the, by the name of Thomas. And we usually talk about the doubting Thomas. Where Thomas says, I will not believe until I put my finger through his wounds. So Jesus appeared and says, Thomas, come and put your finger on my wounds. And then he says, oh my father and my God. 
And Jesus said to him, you say that because you have seen. Blessed is the one who believes without seeing. Blessed are you if you believe that there is healing for you because of Jesus before you are healed. Blessed are you for you to know that there is deliverance for you before you see the deliverance. We've been talking about faith all along. You see, faith allows us to connect with the finished works of Calvary. Hallelujah. When Peter confessed Jesus as the Messiah, at that point in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus revealed to them the whole issue about his re- resurrection. Let's go to Matthew 16 verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Again, I want to ask you a question. How much of the word do you believe? Because Jesus spoke of his resurrection, but his disciples thought it was another story. The second thing that makes the empty grave so crucial to our faith is the resurrection obtained our forgiveness. The resurrection obtained our forgiveness. (coughs) Jesus shed his blood on the cross. And the Bible says there is no remission, there is no cleansing of sins without the shedding of blood. But if Jesus had only just shed his blood without rising from the dead, that blood would have been of no use. Because you know of of a lot of people who have died and they've just, they said, kill me. But because they are not the Messiah, they died and they remain dead today. So the resurrection obtained your forgiveness. In other words, the blood of Jesus, when it was shed and he rose from the dead, It made the work of Calvary so perfect. The resurrection of Jesus perfected what Jesus did on the cross. Let's go back again to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 17. Now Paul is still going on with his thesis in a saying here, And if Christ is not raised, your faith is foolish. You see, what this means is that those who are in faith When nobody has risen from the dead, their faith is foolish. Allow me to say that the Islamic religion is foolishness. Hinduism is foolishness. Hare Krishna is foolishness. Why? Because none of their prophets rose from the dead. Now Paul is saying it very clearly. This sounds very harsh, but this is the truth. That is why we don't contend for our faith because we don't see the differences between those are the faith and what we will believe in. The moment you realize that it took God to raise Jesus from the dead, then you don't take your faith casually. Now he says that your faith is foolish. You are yet in your sins. So if Christ did not rise from the dead, There is no forgiveness of sin because you remain in sin. You see, the resurrection of Jesus rendered his work complete. In the absence of resurrection, his work would have been imperfect. In the absence of resurrection, we cannot claim that his blood can cleanse us. You see, when you read in Romans chapter 4 verse 23, it is talking about how Abraham was justified by faith. And here in verse 20 says, 
Now it was not written for him alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it is to be imputed, to the ones believing on him who, who has raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered because of our offenses and was raised for our justification. You see, the Father accepted the sacrifice of Jesus. Because remember, in, in the Old Testament, they would come into the temple with blood of animals. And when these offerings were accepted, there was a torment of sin. Their sins were covered. Now I want you to understand that the lamb that was slain on that day was without sin, and yet was made sinful for you and I. You see, if Jesus was sinful, the Father would not have accepted his sacrifice. So when God looked at Jesus, he saw a perfect son carrying the imperfections of humanity. Hallelujah. When God looked at Jesus, he saw a perfect son carrying the imperfections of humanity. So when he came into the Holy of Holies, which was not made up of hands, the Father accepted his sacrifice. You see, when Jesus died, he believed that his Father would raise him from the dead. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, very important, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and cows, he entered the most holy place once for all, once for all time and secured our redemption forever. You see, the Bible says when Jesus, on that cross, when he gave up the ghost, the Bible says in the temple, the veil that divided the holy place from the most holy place was torn from the top to the bottom, signifying now access for you and, my, and I to the throne room of God. Remember, it was only the high priest who was allowed to go into the most holy place. Isn't it so profound that when the curtain was torn, it wasn't from bottom to top? Because people could have said, no, somebody walked into the temple and tore the, the curtain from the bottom up. It had to take God to tear the tent, the tent or that curtain and say, no more division, no more seclusion. So that curtain was torn, exposing the mercy city exposing the place where the presence of God would dwell. Now God is saying, you no longer need any other priest. My son has made the way for you and I. That is why the Bible says he is the way, the truth, and the life. Should we pray through our ancestors? Should we pray through the saints of old? No. Jesus is the only one who died and he rose from the dead. So on that day when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain was torn from top to bottom, signifying your access and my access to the one true God. How can the dead lead the living? It had to take the living God, the living Jesus, to lead us to a living God. That is why we don't believe in ancestors, because they are dead. They cannot lead me to a living God. Are we together this morning? Now the Bible says here, just think 
how much more the blood of Christ will purify our conscience, our, our consciences from sinful needs, uh, sinful deeds, so that we can worship the living God. You see, what this means is that in the absence of the blood of Jesus, we cannot worship the living God. He says here, because of his blood, we are able to worship God in spirit and in truth. Now it goes on and says here, for by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. What made him perfect? The Bible says Jesus was tested like you and I. Jesus went through trials and yet without sin. So we have a high priest who, who is not shocked when I come to him in my weaknesses. Because he was tested, he was tried. He went through everything that you're going through today. You see, I might not understand where you're at. I might not understand you when you cry. But when you go to Jesus, he empathizes with you. Why? Because he went through what you're going through. Have you been rejected by your family? Guess what? The Bible says he went to his own, but his own refused him. He went to his own, but his own rejected him. That is why when you go to him crying because you've been reje rejected, he's able to comfort you. You see, it's very difficult for me to identify with you if I haven't gone through your journey. You see, I can try to, to empathize with you, but I won't really strike the nerve because I haven't, through your, I haven't gone through your journey. But the Lord Jesus, when we go to this King of glory, he is not shocked by what we throw at him. Why? Because he's been through it all. So the Bible says here, for by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people. So that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under that first covenant. Now, when someone leaves a will, it is necessary to prove that the person who made it is dead. So it was necessary for Jesus to die so that what he intended could become a reality. His intention was to reconcile us with the Father. Jesus said to the Father, give me a body and I will go down and die for them. You see, Jesus is a good God. Praise the Lord. He did not send angels. You see, on that day when he was about to die, he said to his disciples, when Peter had come in and struck uh, uh, one of the, the, the soldiers' ears, he said, don't do that. Don't you think I'm able to call angels to come and deliver me? But he had to go through it for you and I to be reconciled with our father. Now it says that now when someone leaves a will, it is necessary to prove that the person who made it is dead. The will goes into effect only after the person's death. While the person who made it is still alive, the will cannot be put into effect. The beautiful thing is that Jesus died. It is a proven fact. But to execute the will, he did not give it to anyone else to do. He came back in life. And says, I will make sure that what I died for, what I intended at my death, becomes a reality. That is why today Jesus is hunting for more of us 
to come back to Jesus, to come back to God. The resurrection declares the acquittal of believers. You've been acquitted because of the resurrection. Why do I say that? Romans 8 verse 34. Now the Bible says, who is, who is he condemning? It is Christ who has died, but rather also who is raised, who is also at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. So I want you to, to, to just picture this in heaven, that the Lord Jesus is sitting on the right hand side of the Father, praying for you and I. You see, when the enemy comes with accusations and say, no, this cannot be forgiven. Look at what he has done. The Bible says he intercedes for you and I. He tells the father, remember, I shed my blood for him. Remember, I suffered for him. Remember, I was rejected for him. So he is interceding for you and I for justification. Glory be to God. I hope this is sinking in our hearts because this is the reason of our being today. That is why we can claim that we are believers, we are children of God, we are heaven bound because Jesus is alive. Now after Jesus had met up with his disciples, in one of his last events of speaking to his disciples, he says a very profound commission. Matthew 28 verse 18. Now I've just unpacked briefly around the authenticity of the gospel of why it's important for people to come to Jesus, why it's important for us not to shy back because people are dying you see heaven has not run out of space when Jesus, he said in my father's house there are many many houses, there are many rooms so we can never run out of rooms the more people get born again the more rooms are being built there is so much space because God says he does not rejoice in the death of a sinner. You know that. Heavens do not rejoice when a sinner dies. Why? Because there's no more opportunity for that sinner to be reconciled with the father. There's, it's just one way ticket. But there is rejoicing in heaven when the believer dies. Because he's coming to the father. Isn't it funny that when, when a child is born, we celebrate the mother is in joy and is, we're celebrating and thanking God for this new life. But one of the things that happen when a child is born, the baby cries. Right? If a baby doesn't cry, they smack the baby. I don't know why. But for me, it's a picture of this child has been born into a dead world where she has to rise up and meet up with the Lord in order to survive this fallen state. But then when a believer dies, do you know what happens? We cry, but the believer celebrates because he's going to the Father. Hallelujah. So when a believer has died in the Lord, yes, we are grieving, we cry, but deep down in our hearts, there's also a hope that says she has gone to be with the Father. She is in a better place. That is why I sometimes wonder, why do we say rest in peace? I'm just throwing it out there. Just think about it. When we say rest in peace, what, what are we referring to? What are we talking about? When, when somebody is, is not born again, what peace are they resting in? Just think about that for a moment. A lot of people have different views around this. But when we say certain things, let's think about them and say, what is the implication of what we are saying? 
When Jesus came to them, that's Matthew 28 verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, Jesus says, Go into nations and make disciples of all nations. Go and tell them this good news. The good news is you were dead, but there's a possibility for you to be alive if you accept Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I have commanded you. Now, this brings me to the second grave. This brings me to that grave that has to be occupied all the time. You see, if we are to be true witnesses of Jesus, if we are to stand out and declare the true biblical concept of God, there has to be a dying to self. Praise the Lord. You and I have got to come to a place where we die to self and allow the resurrected Christ to be so alive in us. You see, in the absence of dying to self, in the absence of that grave being occupied, metaphorically speaking, we are not able to be true witnesses of the gospel. I've got a picture there of a coffin and I'm saying self has to die and self belongs there. As long as self is alive, it means that there are two people who are fighting for the throne on your heart. And the one is you, and the other one is the king of glory. You see, the more we die to self, the more we push self to the grave, the more Christ takes his rightful place in our hearts. You see, the issue here is he doesn't want to be lord of, of part of something. It's either he's lord of all or he's not lord at all. That is why I'm talking about the second grave today. And I'm saying, are you dead to self? And alive to Jesus. Because the more we are alive to ourselves, the less Jesus is alive in us. And when Jesus is not alive in us, we are not able to be true witnesses. You see, your greatest enemy is self. And unfortunately, self will remain with us unless we tell self to die. Following Jesus requires that you crucify ourselves. That is why in some place Jesus says, if anyone is to follow me, let him carry his own cross. Do you carry the cross for nothing? It means at some point, you're going to have to climb onto that cross. Jesus carried the cross, and the end result was the mountain of God, uh, Calvary, where he died. This morning, Jesus is saying, if you are to follow me, carry your own cross. You see, the cross in our day-to-day -day terms is almost like an electric chair. It's a weapon of execution. It means when you deny yourself, you're saying I'm going to die to self and allow the resurrected Christ to be alive. So when he said here, go into the nations and make all disciples of, of all nations, he was saying, can I continue living in you? Can I continue being on earth inside of you can i continue speaking this through you now we are the body of christ 
And the question is, if we are the body of Christ, where are his legs? If we are the body of Christ, where is his mouth? If we are the body of Christ, where are his eyes? Are we talking about a crippled body of Christ today? Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. You see, when you talk about the resurrection Sunday, we leave it at the resurrection of Jesus. But there are implications. Because Jesus says, you are my ambassadors. We are his ambassadors on earth. We are representing him. And how accurate is that representation? Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. This was Paul. And he was encouraging the church of the, the Philippian church and he's saying here, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So there's an attitude that we need to carry if we are to be true witnesses of Jesus. And now Paul says here, let this mind, which was also in Christ, be in you, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Do you know that to become a servant takes a dying to self? We are in a community and in a society where people don't like serving anymore. We carry titles and we bring those titles to church. And we are not able to come and clean the church because we say, do, do they know my title? Now, the Bible says that he carried on him the form of a servant. That is why I'm saying there has to be a grave that got to be occupied. Because the more we are dead to self, the more we can become servants. When you go back to John 13, where Jesus took the towel and was cleaning the feet of his disciples, and he said, look, I have shown you an example. You do well if you do likewise. I wiped your feet. Would you do the same thing? So this morning, this is the whole issue. Where Christ is saying, where Paul is saying, he took upon the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. You see, the likeness of man was the lowest form that the Son of Man took. He was God, but when it was necessary for him to do something special, to regain brothers back to him, he took the form of a man. For you, dying might mean waking up every morning praying for the church. For you, dying might mean putting on humility and allowing yourself to say, I'm available to be used, Lord. If you can use me, use me. The Bible says that he took on the likeness of man and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. You see, when you walk in obedience, it allow, you kill yourself. It allows you to die. He walked in obedience unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What was the result of Jesus dying? It was promotion. It was in this moment of having died as a man and being resurrected from the death that God says, I've exalted your name above all names. 
I have placed you above every other name. At the mention of your name, Jesus, every knee shall bow down. It means when we die to self, and this self remains in that grave, there's some promotion that happens. Briefly, I just want to take you through some of the results of us dying and of that grave being occupied by self. Number one, you obtain victory over controlling sin. When you die to self, when self is dead, you have victory over life-controlling sin. The reason why we are struggling with lust, we are struggling with disobedience, we are struggling with all these issues, it is because we are very much alive. The Bible says here in Ephesians 4 verse 22, For you ought to put off the old man. The old man got to die according to your way of living before, who is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Is the old man still alive? Are the old habits controlling our thought process? Because they're still alive. But when you die yourself, you're able to subdue those habits and those thoughts. Hebrews 12 verse 1 he says here, Therefore, since we also are surrounded with so great a cloud of witness, witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that easily entangles us. You see, the writer of the Hebrews differentiates between the weight and the sin. It is very important for you and I to identify what are the weights in our lives. And the more we are alive, the more the weights we carry. What is that weight? but easily come and entangles you. Number two, when you become dead yourself, you become fruitful in what God has called you to do. You see, remember it says, go and make disciples of all nations. When we die to self, he enables us to be more fruitful because we step aside. You see, one of the reasons why we don't get to achieve many results is because we are too involved. The carnal nature is too involved. In the same way that Christ was promoted and he was achieving more results because his name could do much more impact on earth, we are able to be of more impact when we die to self and Christ becomes alive inside of us. When you surrender your gifts, when you surrender your time, when you give up that very special thing in your life, the Lord will make it more productive. That is why Jesus speaks and says in John 12, verse 24, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. So when we choose to die to self, there's something that happens. It's almost like you give God the opportunity to work in you. Because you're no longer standing in the way of the Lord. You're saying, Lord, I allow you to have your way in my life. You see, when you put down your gift, when you lay down your time, when you lay down what is of value to you, the Lord will give it back to you, but not as your own, but as his own. Glory be to God. I'm reminded of the story of Moses. I'm not going to read it because of time. When Moses was talking to God in that burning bush, the Lord said to Moses, what do you have in your hands? And he says, a shepherd's staff. And God says, throw it on the ground. 
You see, in that moment, Moses was giving away his livelihood because he was a shepherd and this staff is what he was using to guide the sheep and to do whatever he's doing in the desert. In that moment, he laid it down and the Lord turned it into a, into, into a snake, into a serpent. Moses was shocked by, by what had happened to his staff. When you lay down your gift before God, you'll be shocked by what it can do. When you give up your rights, you'll be shocked by what God can do through your life. So when God said to Moses, pick it up, he was scared. You see, when you give your life to God fully, people might not recognize you anymore because of what he does in you. It is in that moment that the empty grave starts making sense to the dying world because they're seeing Christ in you. They're seeing clearly who God is. So Moses picked up the staff and it became a staff again. He picked up the serpent, it becomes a staff again. You see, nothing might have changed outside of you, but you no longer belong to yourself. You now belong to God. Glory be to God. When you die to self, God starts fighting your battles. When you die to self, you're no longer able to, to fight for yourself. You throw hands in the air and say, Lord, I can't fight this battle. This battle is yours. I'm tired of trying by myself. I'm tired of putting too much effort. When you do that and you die to self, he takes over. The Bible says his strength is made perfect in our weaknesses. You see, when you die to self, you're basically admitting to your inadequacies. You're saying, I can't do it. And it's not like we are adequate by ourselves. It is him who makes us adequate. Glory be to God. So the tale of two graves. The one is empty. But the one is occupied. Because we are saying the one that is empty has to be seen by everyone. Everybody has to come to a place of believing the Messiah. That he is the king of glory. He is my savior. He is the Lord. But when we remain alive. We rob people around us from seeing the risen Messiah. Shall we stand up on our feet? Glory be to God. I want you to to pray for yourself this morning. Around these two graves. How real is the resurrection of Jesus in your life? How real is it? Is it just a ceremony that we celebrate and we lose the whole essence of us being called Christians? If, if you've lost sight of that today, ask for a renewed revelation of the resurrected King.